this week invite someone to come and worship with you, anybody, a neighbor, a friend, a relative. Invite somebody to come and worship with you. Pray for the services. Pray for one another. And uh, take note of who's missing and either call them or go by to see them. Let them know that uh, they may be missing from our ranks, may be missing from our ranks, but not from our minds and from our love for them. Especially, I think, of Calvin and Judy and others. All right, turn to number 500 and let's stand together when the roll is called up yonder. I'll be there. The trumpet of the Lord to sound, and time shall be no more. And the morning break, turn a brighter path. Oh, when the saved of us shall gather, for they're on the other shore. And the road, page 500. When the road is called a beyond. Genesis, Genesis chapter 41, we're going to ask the Lord to bless us as we look into his holy word this morning, Genesis chapter 41, Father, I stretch. Let me say another thing here before we begin our worship. We have various and sundry talented musicians among us here at Grace Church, and if any of you feel so inclined to join these musicians and play with us or to do a special, uh, please let us know about that. We appreciate and enjoy good uh, music, good hymns that agree with the message. And having said that, we have a brother who worships with us back here in the back, Randolph Hall, Randy Hall, we call him. Randy is with the Williamson Orchestra. I call it the Williamson County Orchestra. I don't know how many pieces, but I've, when I've seen him play, they look like there's 30 or 40 pieces in there. And he plays something. I'll take that, Brother Joe. He plays something. Uh, I forget what, what instrument he plays. He plays the French horn, Lynn says. Plays the French horn. <laughs> 
And when he plays it, though, it sounds like it's in English. Isn't that amazing? It's the French horn. And I guess there's a spiritual interpreter for me because if he's playing in French, I understand it in English. They're going to play on the 13th of this month. I don't know how many of you voted, but uh, for most of us, we had to vote down uh, Columbia Avenue at the Civic Center there. And they're going to play there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the 13th, which is a Sunday. And you will enjoy it. So try to make plans to go out and at least for his encouragement to encourage him uh, in that uh, in that gathering, okay? Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. It came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and there came up out of the river seven well-favored cows, fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. Behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed. That means they were skinny and looked like they were undernourished. And they stood by the other cows upon the brink of the river, and the ill-favored and the lean-fleshed cows ate up the seven well-favored cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he slept. He went back to sleep, and he dreamed a second time. Behold, seven ears of corn came up upon the stalk, rank and good, and there were seven thin ears, blasted with the east wind that sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. It came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told him his dream. But there was none of them that could interpret that dream unto Pharaoh. Then spoke the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me in ward or in prison with the captain of the guard's house, me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night. I dreamed one, and he dreamed one. And we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, a servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them to each man according to his dream he did interpret. And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. In other words, he gave the correct interpretation. Me, the Pharaoh restored unto my office, and the baker he hanged. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself, and he changed his clothes, and he came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream. There's none that can interpret it. I've heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. May the Lord add his blessings on the reading of his word, and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Let's try to get Joseph out of prison this morning. Let's get him on, moving on in his life. He's been in Egypt for 13 years, you should know all these things by now, but I repeat them every week in case you've forgotten them. Four of those 13 years, I believe he was spent in prison. We're told here in the very first verse that it has been two full years since he had been in prison with the butler and the baker, and he had correctly interpreted their dreams. One of them was executed, and the other one was spared. What do you see in that? Well, I see the gospel. I see the gospel in that. We were spared, and Jesus was executed. Only Jesus was not executed for his own sins, but for ours. Well, Joseph had requested of the butler that he remember him, and that he mention him to the Pharaoh. However, as is so often the case with all of us, 
We usually forget our tender mercies once the pain is gone. We do the same thing with operations. You'll have some serious operation, and boy, you tow the line for a while, and then after a while, you forget all of that pain and all that you went through and everything that caused it, and you go right back to doing what you were doing before. I've told you before of an old friend of mine who's been gone for years and years, probably over 40 years. His name was George Kish. George Kish loved to eat what we used to call Dagwood sandwiches. That's a sandwich that's about that high. And George ate those sandwiches, and he ate them like he hadn't eaten in a month. And uh, he developed a heart problem. And that was at the beginning, at least my experience, of the beginning of when they did, did heart surgery. And they went in and did heart surgery for George. I went down there to see him at the hospital. And man, he was, he was blown up like, like an overstuffed turtle. And he was in all kind of misery. And he got through that. And he towed the line for a year or two. And then he forgot it. And then he started getting up at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning like he did before and making him a Dagwood sandwich. And you know what happened? Later, it came back on him. He was up there at the hospital. I went back up there to see him. And this time, I said, George, what would you like to do in your memorial service? And he said, well, I plan on getting out of here. But he didn't get out. He died. He passed away because he forgot all of the mercies that had been extended to him. He forgot everything, all the pain and all of that. And we do the same thing, not only in our health, but we do the same thing like this fellow did. He'd gotten out of prison. Everything was roses now. He was back in good stead with the Pharaoh, and he forgot about Joseph. Now, when it says he forgot about him, I don't think he actually didn't remember him. He just didn't mention anything to the Pharaoh because it was not to his advantage. Now, here's the first lesson for us today. And I'm going to tell you in advance, I titled this message, Release from Prison. But I'm going to tell you in advance that every person that's born in this world is in prison. You're in prison to sin. You're in prison to self. You're in prison to this world. This world is a fallen world. The preachers and teachers that I hear today seem to forget that. This world is a fallen world. People fell from the sin of Adam. Through Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, the Scripture says. This world is under the deception of the God of this world. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to those in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Men are depraved. Men are wicked. I quoted to you last week from John chapter 3. Light has come into the world, and men loved darkness. They loved darkness rather than light. And so when a person is saved, they are released from prison. They are set free. And it is always, and I will repeat this again today, it is always, we can always say that God was behind it all. He was behind it all. If the Son shall set you free, you'll be free indeed. But we're in an age now where we think preachers can set people free. We think priests can set them free. We think the Pope can set them free. We think they can set themselves free by living good and doing right according to the standards of men. But I'm telling you this, unless God sets you free, you won't be set free. He's behind it all. Here's the first lesson for us. The Lord is not dependent upon any human being to accomplish his purpose. The callous disregard of this man that Joseph asked, when you are released, remember me, the callous disregard of that fellow, of that butler, the chief butler he's called, did not in the least alter the Lord's plans for Joseph. So here's the lesson now. Here's the lesson. If we 
will not be faithful, the Lord will raise up somebody else who will. If Joseph will not report to the Pharaoh, or rather if the butler will not report to the Pharaoh the story about Joseph, the Lord will use another means. And here's the other means right here in verse 1. It says, it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. Butler had a dream. The baker had a dream. And the butler wouldn't be faithful. He wouldn't tell the Pharaoh about Joseph. So now God makes Pharaoh have a dream. It was the Lord who gave the butler his dream. It was the Lord who gave Pharaoh his dream. And I say it again. If I'm not going to be faithful to share the gospel... If I'll not preach and teach the gospel, if I'll not bear false witness or bear a good witness of the gospel, the Lord will raise up others and he will accomplish his purpose through them. And this is a biblical principle uh, in the scripture. This is established in many places in the scripture. For example, I'll give you one example from Romans chapter 3. After showing the unbelief of the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1, and the unbelief of the Jews in Romans chapter 2, Paul asked this question in Romans chapter 3, verse 3. He said, What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Will God be unfaithful because those to whom he entrusted his word were unfaithful? Is God limited by the unbelief of men? We're told today that God can't do anything unless we believe. Well, who was around believing when he created the universe? Who was believing for God when he created the universe? My friends, don't let anybody sell you that bill of goods. That's not true. Brother Sasser, doesn't it say in some of the Gospels he could do no many works there because of their unbelief? Yes, but what it means is he would do no many works there because of their unbelief. It doesn't mean he couldn't. It means he wouldn't. He wouldn't do it because they didn't believe him. I want you to know that the Lord is not dependent upon anyone or anything to accomplish his purpose. And that's the question in Romans 3 and verse 3. If some did not believe, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Will God be faithful, unfaithful? Because those to whom he entrusted his word were unfaithful? Is God limited or by the unbelief of men? No. Is God limited in what he can do because men don't do what they ought to do and what they should do? No. My friends, the great and wonderful purpose of God will be carried out in spite of the unbelief and the unfaithfulness of men. If the butler will not convey the message of Joseph to Pharaoh, then the Lord will simply get Joseph's message to Pharaoh in another way. You remember the story of Esther in the Bible? You remember when Mordecai sent a word to Esther? She had been made the queen, and the king did not know that Esther was a Jew. And remember he got the word that wicked Haman was going to kill all the Jews? And Mordecai sent a message to Esther and said, you need to go in before the king and make an appeal to him to get mercy for your people. And she said, but if I go into the king unannounced, well, I may be killed. He said another message. He said, if you will not stand for your people now, then deliverance for them will arise from another source. That's what he said. You think you're going to escape because you won't stand for the truth? Well, no, he said God just raised up somebody else and then he'll judge you. He'll chasten you. He'll deal with you because you weren't faithful to what he gave you to do. And that's a, that's a message for this generation here that want to compromise the word of God and compromise the gospel and compromise all of these principles that are clearly set forth in Scripture simply because it's not popular they're going to lose people in the church. They're going to, quote, drive them away because they, want, they don't want to hear what the Scripture 
has to say. My friends, think about this. When God sent a perfect man into this world, a man who lived above sin, a man who never sinned in word, thought, or deed, a man who was perfect, a man who was as holy as God because he was God in the flesh, what did the world do to him? While they crucified him. That's what they think of the truth of God. That's what they think of the things of God. They crucified him. And Jesus said to his disciples, if the world hate you, you should know they hated me before they hated you. He said, if they receive my sayings, they'll receive your sayings. The disciple is not above his master, he said. We must not be afraid of what the world thinks. We must bear witness of the truth. We must convey the truth. And all the more so, the more the world resists it. The more they resist, the more we ought to come at them with the truth. In fact, the Lord went beyond, in this matter with Joseph, he went beyond what would have happened if the butler had conveyed the message. He brought Joseph to the Pharaoh without the Pharaoh ever hearing why Joseph was in prison in the first place. Let's see how it happened. Now, months ago, I gave you a little outline. Here it is again. The first seven verses, the dreaming of the Pharaoh. The dreaming of the Pharaoh. He had a ridiculous dream. Most of the time when we have dreams, we have ridiculousness in our dreams. We dream we can fly. We dream that this, that, and the other happens that it's not possible for it to happen. Many times it happened. And he stood by the river, and it says in verses 2 through 4 that he saw these cows, these fat cows, and then he saw seven uh, thin and eaten up cows, and one set of cows ate up the other set of cows. Well, cows don't eat up each other. They don't even eat any kind of flesh. You throw a cow hamburger patty, he'll just sniff at it, because that's not what he eats. So this is ridiculous. And then he, eats, he dreams about the corn. He goes, woke up and went back to sleep and dreamed about the corn. The, the corn stalks devouring other corn stalks, verses 5 through 7. So that's the dreaming of Pharaoh. Now the second section, after the Lord gave Pharaoh this dream, and I can say this about this dream. First of all, it was the Lord who gave him the dream. Secondly, I think the Lord deliberately gave him a troubling dream. He gave him, thirdly, a dream that nobody could interpret. And what is he doing here? He's setting up the stage. He's setting up the situation for Joseph. In other words, as I've already said, the Lord is behind it all as he always is. Scott Richardson used to say when he'd read the Bible and he'd have a phrase in the Bible and says, and it came to pass. And then Scott would pause and he'd say, as it always does. As it always does. I guarantee you if the Lord is in something and he's in everything, it's going to come to pass. It's going to come to pass. The Lord was behind it. So following the dream of Pharaoh is the demeaning. The dreaming of Pharaoh is followed by the demeaning of the wise men. Verse 8. Verse 8. His spirit was troubled the next morning. He sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of the wise men thereof. Now to demean something or someone is to cause a loss of respect. When you demean someone, you cause a loss of respect. You damage the character of that person. You lower the status of that person or place or thing. And let me tell you, the stock of these magicians went down dramatically when they could not interpret Pharaoh's dream. In other words, they were exposed as frauds and pretenders and false prophets. These so-called wise men could no more interpret these dreams than men without the Spirit of God can interpret the things of the Spirit. Why don't you turn with me? I can quote these passages to you. But we'll come back to Genesis 41. You might put your ribbon or your marker or something there. And let's turn 
to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in the New Testament. Now my job as a teacher of the gospel, a preacher of the gospel, especially as a pastor, is to build up the church. If you're here today and you're not a believer, we want to make you jealous. We want you to come to Christ. We want you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. That when Christ comes again in the great day of judgment and he separates the sheep from the goat, you'll be in the group of the sheep. The wise from the foolish, you'll be in the group of the wise. The wheat from the tares, you'll be in the group of the wheat. We want you to be saved, but... The burden, I believe, according to the New Testament pastor, is to build up the church, to build up the called out ones, to build up those who are believers that you might go back out to your places of business, back out into the world, and you are a witness to others. You invite others to come and and worship and hear the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says in verse 12, we, that is we who have believed, we who are Christians, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. And one purpose for that is this, that we might know that which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We're given the Spirit of the Lord because only the Spirit of the Lord can teach us the things of the Spirit. God is Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth, the Scripture says. So the Spirit of the Lord is the one who teaches us. Whatever you understand of the Scripture, it is the Spirit of the Lord who has taught you. Okay? Now we'll go down to verse 14. But the natural man... This is a Greek word, sukikos. It means the person that doesn't have the spirit. The natural man, the man that's in the same state he was born in. He doesn't have the spirit of the Lord. He does not receive the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they must be spiritually understood, spiritually discerned. These wise men, so-called, can't interpret that dream because they don't have the Spirit of God. They cannot tell the Pharaoh what that dream means. Now, it has become quite common in the churches of America to give congregations the idea that understanding and receiving the truths of the Word of God is a matter of will and a matter of intellect. In other words, if I just put my mind to it and I just read and I just study and I just research, I'll be able to understand the Word of God. But that's not true, not according to 1 Corinthians 2 that we just read, verses 12 and 14 and all the other verses in between. I can become a believer, but I have to be a believer because the Spirit of God makes me one. Paul says... We cannot become believers. We can't know the Word of God, the will of God, the things of God, unless the Spirit of God teaches us. Only the Spirit of God, who is the author of the Word of God, can make me a believer in the Son of God. Faith and repentance are gifts of God, and therefore cannot be worked up. And Pharaoh's wise man can't tell him the meaning of his dreams any more than the natural man can understand the things of the Spirit. Now, modern wise men in 2022, modern wise men and astrologers come from science today. This generation swears by science and scientists. The rule of men and women of science is Until we say it is so, it ain't so. For the last century and a half, the rule was man is the measure of things. For several hundred years now, 
That's been the rule. Man is the measure of things. Man determines what reality is. Man defines reality. Until man says something is so, it ain't so. I mean, when I was way back in graduate school and the professor gave that old illustration of if the tree falls in the forest and there's no man there to hear it, does it make a noise? Well, what is that saying? That's saying that if a man is not there to hear it, to watch it, to verify it, that it fell, as far as we're concerned, it doesn't exist. But you see, there's a God who sees all things. There's a God who determines what reality is. There's a God who makes that tree fall in the forest. Somewhere on the backside of nowhere where no man ever sees it, God causes a little flower to bloom, and it's blooming for the glory of God. It's blooming for the glory of God. No man may ever see it or appreciate it. But it's blooming for the glory of God. Well, in the last few centuries, I said century and a half, man is the measure of things. So now we say science. They just changed it just a little bit. Science is the measure of things. Nothing is so until science says it is so. And yet in spite of science and scientists... The world is growing darker, and the world is growing more desperate. But like the Pharaoh, many people are looking for answers from sources other than the Creator of God. He first called his most reliable source, the wise men and the magicians. That's what people are doing today. They're seeking answers for life's most perplexing questions from people who don't have any answers. According to Google Trends, I looked this up, searches which concern astrology hit a five-year high in 2020, and they're even higher today, especially with Generation Z, that is, those who were born in the 90s. An interest in the occult has gone through the roof. And why is this? Simple. The more a people abandon the Word of God. The more people abandon the Lord and His Word as a source of reality, as a source of truth, the more they are given over to the dark things of the God of this world. If men will not learn the meaning of life and of how to escape from death, from the Creator of life, they will be given over to what they hope to escape, which is deception and death. Like Pharaoh and ancient Egypt, unless the Lord sends us a word, unless he sends us light, unless he sends us a Savior and gives us ears to hear and a heart that's interested and a mind that understands, we're doomed. Turn to Romans chapter 1. This is a, a, a passage we've looked at many, many, many times, but let's look at it again. Romans chapter 1. I want to show you the truth of this assertion that to reject light from God through His Word is to get ever darker circumstances in our minds, our hearts, is to bring more and more gloom and darkness into the world and into our personal world. And I want you to notice as we look at these passages, the progression of the power of sin over the soul of the nation or over the soul of the individual that refuses the Lord and His Word. If we refuse the Lord, we will refuse His written Word. If we refuse His written Word, we will refuse His Son, the living Word who's revealed in the written Word. And if we refuse the living word, Jesus Christ, we will be damned. Now look at Romans chapter 1. Those who will not hear, verse 22, profess themselves to be wise, but they are really fools. They think they are being wise, but they're really fools. This generation has more knowledge than any previous generation. Have you ever stopped to think, that all of the knowledge we have now was always here? 
It was always here. But men didn't know it. They didn't have it. They couldn't discover it. But the Lord has allowed men in the last 100 years or so to come up with all of these discoveries about things. And what do we do with that knowledge? Well, we abandon God. And we begin to worship science and the knowledge that we have. So he says here, that this generation who's rejected God, verse 22, they think that they are wise, but they have become fools. Now notice, they're going to get wiser and weaker. Wiser and weaker. Now look at verse 24. So what happens? God gave them up. He gave them up to the desires of their unregenerated flesh. And this is what this verse says. I'm going to quote you the verse I have. You have, some of you have different translations. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now here's what that says. Those who will not honor God will dishonor themselves. That's verse 24. Now verse 26. God, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. Vile affections. This is a mental attitude, a mental problem that's allowed to express itself in a depraved action. And he goes on to tell us that the wonderful characteristic of femininity, of women, is modesty. Modesty. And when that is lost, when women throw off modesty, the whole society is lost. When women become more shameless than men, then they drag men down with them. This is what it says right here in verse 26. Vile affections, vile passions, even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, that which is wrong, and receiving in themselves the recompense or the reward or the payback of their error that is exactly suited to that error. My dear friends, we've gone now from a generation who believes that God made man and that he created them male and female to a Congress that might even pass laws to protect operations to change the sex of a person, uh, the sex with which they were born. And I've said this before, let me repeat it again today. Whatever soul you're born with, there's more than just the outward body. You got a soul in there. And if you're born with a male soul, you're going to die with a male soul. If you're born with a female soul, you're going to die with a female soul. I don't care what you do to the vessel you're living in and walking in, you will remain what God made you. And the whole idea of trying to change this is to try to change what God has made us to be and made us to do. We don't like anything that he's done. We want to change it. If he calls something good, we want to call it evil, and we want to call evil good. If he says, this is light, we say, no, that's darkness to me, and this over here, this darkness, that's light. That's what I love. I love the darkness more than light. John 3, verse 36. John 3, 18 through 36. Then it says in verse 28, verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, he gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now notice in verse 24 or verse 22, uh, verse 24, I'm sorry, he gave them up. Verse 26, he gave them up. Verse 28, he gave them over. By the way, the same Greek word is used in all three of those verses. But the writer of the scriptures, the one who authored this, saw, the translators at least, they saw a progression. 
And so it's up and up and over. And that indicates that once they're given over, there's no way for them to revert back to a, a state of normalcy apart from the sovereign grace of God. Just like there's no way for Joseph to get out of that prison unless God intervenes. There's no way for me to get out of my prison unless God intervenes. That's how helpless we are. So he says in verse 28, he gave them over to a mind that's so depraved. That's what a reprobate mind is. It's so depraved that it cannot distinguish between right and wrong, godly and vile. It is irretrievably scarred. It has scar tissue upon it. You can have your eyes so scarred with cataracts that you can't see. That's what happened to most of these characters in the Old Testament. One said they were dim, their eyes were dim, and they couldn't see. And we can have a soul that's so scarred, a heart that's so scarred, affections that are so scarred that we no longer not only cannot distinguish between what is good, bad, light, and darkness, we don't care. We don't care. Is that what it says? Look at this, verse 32, verse 32, Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Nobody likes to do wickedness by himself or herself. We like somebody else to join in with us. Feels better, doesn't it? Gives us more courage when we have somebody else join in with us. I'm amazed at how weak people are about things. Somebody starts a trend of something, and then after a while, everybody has to do that. They're trying to do it to be different, and after a while, nobody's different because all of them have done that. It's unbelievable. Nobody has the, the strength to stand against this, this movement uh, of vile affections. Many of the spiritual descendants of Pharaoh's wise men have risen up to lead this generation to judgment. Oh, that the Lord would expose them as he exposed those who guided the Pharaoh. And oh, that he would cause us to listen to the Joseph of heaven that we might be delivered from our prisons. So we see the dreaming of Pharaoh, then we see the demeaning of the wise man, and thirdly, verses 9 through 13, 9 through 13, we see the scheming of the butler. Why did the butler suddenly remember? Well, it was not in gratitude to Joseph, it was to gain favor with the Pharaoh. That's why he remembered. He never did forget. He's just waiting for an opportunity. He didn't mention this because he was grateful to Joseph. He mentioned this because he wanted to gain favor with the Pharaoh. But let me tell you the other reason he mentioned it, because it was the perfect timing of the Lord. Perfect timing. Suppose that when Joseph said to the Pharaoh two years ago, remember me, and the butler had remembered him and told Pharaoh, hey, there was a guy, what would have happened? The Pharaoh would have released him from prison. He would have gone home. And there wouldn't be anybody there to interpret these dreams that the Pharaoh has two years later. J Joseph is in prison by the will of God. He's in prison because God's purpose and plan is right on time. How did Joseph get out of prison? Well, the Pharaoh had a dream. The wise men were demeaned. And the butler had a scheme, and all of it was moving according to the purpose and plan of God. Now, here's how I got out. Look at verse 14. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. Now, look at verse 14, Genesis 41. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. How did he get out of prison? He was sent for. You know how you get out of your prison? The Lord sends for you. That's how you get out. Where was it? He was in prison. Where are we, spiritually speaking? We are in prison. 
There's no way Joseph could have freed himself. There's no way we can free ourselves. We're in prison because of our own foolishness. We're also there because of the sin of another. Joseph is in prison because of the sin of his brothers and the sin of Potiphar's wife. We're in there. We're in prison because of the sin of our great-grandfather Adam. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and sin passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Now, why did Jesus come? Jesus came to get us out of prison. I'm going to tell you where this is. Uh, You can go and look at it later. It's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. It tells us the story of Jesus coming on a Sabbath morning to a synagogue in Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And just like we had Brother McKnight read the Scripture and led us in prayer, the rabbi was told, hey, there's a local boy here that grew up here, used to worship here. Who is that? Well, Jesus. Jesus is there. I'll tell you what, I'll turn over there to it, just so if you want, some of you want to turn Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Jesus is here. And so when it came to reading the Scripture that morning, they said, well, let's let Jesus read the Scripture. Begins, my section will begin in, in uh, verse 18. It says here, it says in verse uh, 16, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And somebody told him, and they gave that Jesus was there, so they gave him a scroll to read, and they gave him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he found the place, which in our Bible is Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. He found the place where it was written, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. There was something about the way he read it. It was read in power. The Spirit of God attested to it. And they, they couldn't take their eyes off of him. What did he say? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. How much of the Spirit did Jesus have? According to John chapter 2, he had as much of the Spirit as God has of the Spirit. He was completely filled with the Spirit, as much of the Spirit as the Holy Spirit has. He says, the Spirit is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news. To who? To the poor. The poor. Does that mean those that make less than 10,000? No, it means those who have found themselves to be in prison. They are poor. They have nothing to offer God. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. As a result of finding out about their poor state, their hearts are broken. Their hearts are broken before the Lord to preach deliverance to the captives. They found out that they're in captive. They're in prison. And then the recovering of the sight to the blind. They find out that they're blind. They can't see how to get out of prison. And to set at liberty them that are bruised. We sing the old hymn, cursed by the law, bruised by the fall. Jesus has redeemed us once for all. Look at the people he says he's come to preach. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the bruised. Can you find yourself in any of those descriptive terms? Are you blind? Have you been bruised by your sin? Do you need to be delivered or you're imprisoned? Is your heart broken because of your status before the God who sees all things? I'll tell you who freed Joseph out of that prison. It was the Lord. And it is Jesus who frees us. It was Jesus who freed us. And I tell you this morning, look to Jesus. 
Learn of Jesus. Take his yoke upon you and you will find rest for your soul, the rest you're looking for. Joseph was preserved from despair and hopelessness by the promises of God. He held on to those promises. And many today are in despair. They have no hope and they are without God in this world. Listen to this. Suicide is the 12th leading cause of death in the United States, a, a land of milk and honey, a land of billionaires and many millionaires. In 2020, nearly 46,000 persons died by suicide. In 2020. In 2020, there were 1.20 million suicide attempts. On the average, there are 130 suicides a day in the United States. Drug overdose is a leading cause, a leading cause of death in the United States. About 100 people a day died, die from drug overdose. 10% of American citizens have had drug use disorder at some point in their lives. Marijuana Daily use has doubled since 2015. Listen to this one. An estimated 15 million people in the United States struggle with alcohol. In the last month, more than 65 million Americans reported binge drinking. And 88,000 people a year die of alcohol-related causes. Does that sound like an enlightened generation? We're in trouble, and the only way we're going to get out of it is to turn to the God who made us. Okay, so Joseph was called. How did he get out of prison? He was called. Secondly, he was called specifically. We go back to Genesis 41. It says the Pharaoh sent and called, verse 14, so he called him, but did he just call everybody? No, it says the Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. He called a specific person, a specific person. He was looking for one man in that prison, and his name is Joseph. My friend, the Lord knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows your address. Jesus said, I know my sheep, and I call them by name. And it says he was called hastily. Hastily. When God begins a work of grace, he makes a short work of it. And look at this now. Look at this. It says that Joseph, the second part of verse 14, I could have just used verse 14 today and just preached to a gospel message. He was called, he was specifically called, looking for one certain person. And then it says he shaved himself, he changed his clothes, and he came into Pharaoh. You see, he cannot appear before the Pharaoh in his old prison clothes. He's got to have a new set of clothes. He's got to look like a new man. He's got to look like a different man. He's going to shave. And is this not what we must do and what must happen to us before we appear before the King of kings and the Lord of lords? We can't appear before the Lord in our old spiritual prison clothes, in our old self, both dirty and unacceptable. We must be bathed, bathed by the washing of regeneration. We must be shaved. We must be given a new nature, a new self. We must be freed from our prison and from our servitude, our slavery. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the person that's called by the Lord is the Lord's free man. And some of us are living like we're still in prison. We're living in this world like we're still in prison. We've been set free. Joseph can no longer live as though he's still in prison as though he's still in darkness, as though he's still in shackles. No, the Lord has set him free. 
My friends, everything was prepared for him. And that's the way it is for us. The Lord had prepared Pharaoh. When Joseph appeared before the Pharaoh, look at verse 15. Verse 15. The Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've dreamed a dream. Now I want you to notice there's no small talk here. Pharaoh doesn't say, where'd you come from, boy? Who's your father? Who's your daddy? What did you grow up doing? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Now Pharaoh gets right to the point. I've dreamed a dream. I have dreamed a dream. That's all I'm interested in right now, sir. I don't even know if he knows his name yet. I've dreamed a dream, and I've heard you can interpret it. I understand that you interpret dreams. Now, the flip side of that is this. Joseph didn't have time to think of what he would say or what he would do. He probably didn't even know why he was being called. Can you imagine him in that jail cell and somebody says, looking for Joseph, Joseph, what cell you Joseph? Down here. Probably thought he was going to be taken out and executed. Took him out, brought him before the Pharaoh. He doesn't have, he cleaned up, said, we're going, to, we, we, we're going to take you to the Pharaoh. Well, I need to clean up then. Have you ever noticed on television when people appear before judges, they usually clean up? Huh? They clean up when they appear before somebody of high rank. Most people in the past, at least, I don't know about this generation, but most people in the past, if they were summoned to appear before a judge or before a, a governor or before a president, they would probably wear the best they have. They want to appear to be clean and ready and presentable. Now, how about Joseph? He comes before the Pharaoh, and he, hadn't, he had helped other people with their dreams, he didn't even know the meaning of his own dream. I think it's beginning to dawn on him. What did our Lord tell his disciples? You can find this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Jesus said to his disciples, look, when they haul you into court, when they bring you before the rulers of the synagogue, when they bring you before the rulers of Rome, don't worry about what you say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at that time. And you'll glorify me. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. And the Holy Spirit taught Joseph what to say. Joseph is careful. Notice verse 16. He's careful to give God all the glory. I've heard that you can under, understand and in, interpret a dream. Joseph said, verse 16, no, no, it's not in me. I don't know a thing about dreams. I had one myself when I was 16 years old. I don't even understand that one. But God does, and God shall give the Pharaoh an answer of peace. My friends, listen to me now. This is going to be my last word this morning. In this matter of salvation, whatever you understand and whatever you don't understand, I want you to understand this. No glory goes to you. No glory goes to me. It all goes to him. However you came to know the Lord, I can promise you this, God is behind it all. God's behind it all. Amen. He's behind it all. From the time that Joseph was in this world, God had a plan for him. He began to reveal some of that in that dream when he was 16. And though he was betrayed on every hand, though he went through all kinds of hardships, here he's now 30 years old. All of that, God was in it. Every bit of it. God was in it. Trace and I were talking yesterday about uh, Job. And uh, I told him that the thing that I've learned about the book of Job, and I have mentioned this many times over the years, you know, Job, Scripture starts out by saying Job was a faithful man, doesn't it? That he was faithful, he served the Lord, he prayed for his kids every day in case they had sinned, he offered sacrifices for them, 
And then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. Now everything's going backwards. And Robbo's come and steal everything he has. All his livestock is gone. Everything is gone. And then all of a sudden, Job himself is struck. He's struck with boils from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. And everything is completely upside down. Listen, the God who blessed Job and loved him before all that happens to him is still intent on blessing him. He still loves him, even though all this is happening to him. Job had no way of knowing, he had no way of knowing that it was the devil himself who was causing all of this by God's permission. He had no way of knowing that. Did the Lord love him any less? No. He had all of these friends that came and accused him, and they all basically said the same thing. Job, listen, philosophy, history, science, everything teaches us that if you do right, God's going to bless you. And when bad things happen, you've, you've done something wrong. Even the disciples thought, thought that. They said to Jesus, you know that tower down there that suddenly fell over and killed 18 people? Did it fall on them because they were big sinners? Jesus said, no, but I tell you, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. What about Lazarus, John chapter 11? Why was he born blind? They asked Jesus. Was he born blind because some sin he committed or because some sin his parents committed? Jesus said, no, he's born blind for the glory of God that the works of God might be made known in, by, and through him. And Jesus cured Lazarus. He raised him from the dead after he died. He, the blind man, Lazarus is in John 11. The blind man is in John chapter 9. I'm getting two stories mixed up here. Lazarus in John 11, the blind man in John 9. He said this man was born blind for the glory of God, that the works of God might be made manifest in him. Bottom line, bottom line, whatever my salvation, however my salvation came about, the Lord was behind it all. The Lord is the one who brings it about. The Lord is the one who causes me to hear the message. The Lord is the one who crosses my path with the message. The Lord is the one who gives me the faith to believe. The Lord is the one who gives me the uh, determination that I'm going to serve him. All of this is of the Lord. The Lord had prepared all of this ahead of time. He's behind it. And Joseph said, I give all the glory to him. I give all the glory to him. All right, listen to this. I'm going to read this to you. This is about our Lord Jesus Christ from Isaiah chapter 42. But it's also about the people of God in Christ. Behold, this is from Isaiah 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry. He shall not lift up. He shall not cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. And he shall bring forth judgment unto truth, and he shall not fail or be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth. Isaiah 42, 6, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and I will uphold thine hand. I will keep thee. I will give you for a covenant for the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness, to bring them out of the prison house. And listen to this now. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. I will not give my glory to another. Any salvation that enables a man or a woman or a boy or a girl to glory in it is not the salvation of Scripture. God's behind your salvation. God was behind delivering Joseph. God's behind it all. All right, let's stand together.
Here's a good quote from a friend of mine out in Louisiana, Milton Howard. This is what Milton put in his bulletin. He said, the important question, the most important question of all is, have you come to Christ? It is not to which church you belong, but if you belong to Christ. It is not if we believe in a church, but if we believe in Christ. It is not if we go to church, but have we come to Christ. It is not have we bowed at some altar, but have we bowed at the feet of and confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and King. It is not making some profession of religion, but if we have professed Christ to be our Lord and Savior. He said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. He does not say you will be religious. He does not say you will be good folks. He does not say you will be Bible readers, hymn singers, hand clappers, or that you will utter long and loud prayers, but that you will come to Christ. That's a good statement. Nothing else matters, my friend. The question is, have we come to Christ? If you wish to be saved, you can be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your precious word, your precious promises, your precious precepts. Help us not only to read the word, but to walk according to it to walk with you on a daily basis, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, considered not all the same shame and the suffering. Lord, we thank you for having saved us. We thank you for the way of salvation, which is in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that it is so clear and plain that a little child will not err therein. I pray, Father, that you'll help us in truth, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might give him glory, that we might be delivered from our prison cells. We'll know that he did it, just as Joseph did. In Jesus' name I pray, for his sake I ask it. Amen. All right, let's sing under the blood. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the Thirteen twenty. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you perfect in every good work to do his will and work in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you're dismissed.